Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. All right, what's up City Alliance? How y'all doing today? That's awesome. Well, listen, it is so good to be back with you as we are starting a brand new series called Sermon on the Mound in light of Little League coming into town, things like that. First off, I just got to give a shout out to our incredible, we've got some incredible people in our church who made that video that you just saw that created this graphic. Can we just hear it for some of the creative folks in our church today? Make some noise. Absolutely. Man, it takes teamwork to make the dream work for sure. And so we're excited because, you know, we're going to be doing a baseball-themed series in the month of August. You know, you, you know, if you grew up in Williamsport or you're new to the area, you should know that Little League is kind of a big deal around here, so we get to be a part of that. In fact, one of the things that we get to do is coming up on August 14th, uh, we have the Grand Slam Parade. Uh, every year, all of these Little League teams from all over the country actually all over the world descend on Williamsport and we have an opportunity as a church because of where our building is to be a blessing to all those parade goers. So last year we actually opened up our building, we invited people to use our bathrooms for free. If you've ever had small children at an event like a parade, you know what a gift and a blessing it is to provide clean, safe bathrooms. So we're going to have that as well as bottled water and popcorn and um, if you want to come and help us uh, bless the city of Williamsport we would love it if you could sign up. You can just kind of hover your phone over this QR code. It'll take you to our registration page. You can sign up. We'll give you more information of what slot you can come and serve and be part of. And you can watch the parade from our church steps. It's really kind of a cool way. We're also going to have a photo booth. In fact, when you guys came in, you probably saw a photo booth out in the corner. I would encourage you to go ahead, get your picture taken with your family at that photo booth, share it on social media, and we're going to have that same thing available as well. Also, when you came in, you were probably given um, a couple of these cards here, and these are invite cards. If you want to go ahead and take one and wave it at me, I want to feel the wind of the cards Oh, it feels good, feels good. It's like better than a fan. Um, But this is a great way, if you've got someone in your life, maybe they're close to you, but they're far from God, but maybe they're baseball fans, it'll be kind of a way for them to be interested, even having a conversation about faith. I want to encourage you, go ahead, take one of these and give give it away. In fact, you can take as many as you want, give as many of them away as you want, as a way to help people kind of make those connections. Now, I got to say something from the get go, that maybe you've noticed that I'm wearing a Red Sox jersey today. Are there Red Sox fans here? Wow. All right, we're not alone. We're not alone. But I just need to let you know I married into the Red Sox um, fandom, okay? I grew up in New York, New Jersey, so you can tell what I may or may not be cheering for then. So, you know, I want to stay neutral here so everyone, you know, doesn't, you know, we, 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 we want to pr- promote peace. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I'm really excited about this series. And if I can give you a little bit of background, I know many of you, you were from Williamsport, and so you could probably get up here and do this first part of the message. But Little League all starts with a man named Carl Stotts. Uh, Carl Stotts was a gentleman who lived in Williamsport, and he was playing, you know, catch with his nephews in his backyard. They're playing catch with the baseball, and he trips over a lilac bush. This is the story that's told. He trips over this lilac bush, and then all of a sudden he has this epiphany. He has this, like, inspiration, and the New York Times captures it with this quote. He says this. He says this to his nephews. How would you like to play on a regular team 
with uniforms, your own cap, a new ball for every game, and bats your size. And that was literally the birth of Little League. And it was started in 1939. And it started with just a handful of kids, a handful of teams, and they would get together and they would just simply play baseball. He would train them. They would have bats that were their own sizes and gloves and all that. And eventually grew and grew and grew to what it is today. There literally is a Little League team in every community around the world. In fact, this was such a powerful thing. Listen to what one of the local churches in Williamsport said about Little League. They said this, the greatest remedy for juvenile delinquency ever discovered in the city was Little League. So so this wasn't just something that was done for fun or for entertainment. It actually served a purpose. It actually helped give kids in the community of Williamsport focus and purpose all through the game of baseball. It's kind of incredible. In fact, this is memorialized by Carl Stotts. He's got his own field. If you've ever been in town, you've probably seen the Carl Stotts field. Maybe you've played baseball there or Little League there when you were kids or you've taken their kids there. But, you know, Carl Stotts knew that this wasn't something he could do on his own. He needed the community around him. He needed a team around him. And so he built that team. And that's kind of what made Little League what it is today. And I think that's one of the first parallels that we see is that oftentimes Christianity isn't something that we do on our own. We need one another. And in fact, with Carl Stotts, he would have said something like, it takes teamwork to make the dream work. But if I could maybe tweak it, I would say it takes teamwork to make God's dream work. Now, let me clarify this. Here's the truth. God can do anything on his own. Amen? God has the power, the ability. He doesn't need us. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to partner with you and I to bring about his will into our world. And so the way God has designed it is for him to make his dream of those of us part of his forever family, he's developed a team. It takes teamwork to make God's dream work because Christianity is a team sport. Okay, maybe you've heard, you know what, we live in a culture where it's you do you, or you know, it's just me and God, it's, it's just individual, it's just personal, but that's not how scripture was designed. That's not how Christianity was made to be experienced. It is something that we do together. We are made to, to do life together. We are made to do faith together. And when Paul is talking about, or Paul, one of the early church leaders, is talking about faith, he often uses sports metaphors and sports analogies to kind of make a bridge between the natural and the spiritual. Look what he says here to a church that he's writing to in the city of Corinth. He says this, everyone who competes in the game goes into what? Strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So Paul is already talking about the idea of competition, of training, of developing for a specific purpose. He goes on and says this, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. He's saying, I work with intention. I am developing myself so that I can win the game. And he says this, no, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What does a champion athlete do? They're known for their discipline. They're known for their focus. They're known for saying no to good things or okay things so they can eat the best kind of foods that's going to build up muscle. They're doing exercises and they're working out longer and harder than anyone else. And so Paul is saying, just like as a prized athlete does that to win in their game of choice, in the same way as followers of Jesus, we need to have that same mindset when it comes to things of God. Amen? 
when it comes to things of faith. And we see all of these analogies all throughout Scripture. Now, now, now I want to say something. For those of you who aren't into sports, you're like, I don't understand what all this sports ball is, Nathan. Like, you know, like, I do board games. That's, like, my thing. Like, I do my board games. But listen, you have a team when you play certain board games, right? Like, you can't defeat Vecna on your own. You need, you need people around you that can come together so that you can accomplish a purpose. And the thing is, we need one another. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says in this quote. He says this, You will never reach your full potential without tapping into the wisdom of others. You see, we need one another to grow. Because the reality is, when it comes to your spiritual life, your career, your relationship, you only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. We have a limited understanding of our own areas, and so that's why we need people in our lives of diverse opinions, diverse experiences and skills that can speak into us, that can challenge us, that can encourage us in difficult times. Social theorists have a, th- have a, a thing called the law of averages. Anyone ever heard of the law of average? So the law of averages says this, that you are the composite of the five people you spend the most time with. Okay, Think about that for a moment. Who are the people that you spend the most time with? Uh, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, some people, you know, I'll talk to a lot of people, say, Nathan, I feel, I feel kind of stuck. I feel like I'm not growing as a person. I feel like I'm not growing in my relationship with God. And, and oftentimes I ask them, who, do you, who are you hanging out with? And a lot of times what they'll say is, they've been hanging out with the same 10 people for 10 years in the same bar, complaining about the same stuff for that whole time. And it's like, no wonder you're stuck. Because you've become the composite of the people that you spend your time with. You need to make some cuts to your roster. You need to trade out your team. You need to find people that can help you grow and develop. And the one person or the one individual that you need on your team is you need a coach. Every single one of us in this room or watching online, you need a coach that can help you get to the next level. You need someone that's a little bit further ahead of you, maybe a couple steps ahead that can help you go in the next direction. In fact, if you think of anyone that's successful, I guarantee you there was a successful coach behind them. Uh, one example I think of, and you know, those of you that are Philly fans and um, Pittsburgh Pirates fans, I got to apologize, but Joe Torre and Derek Jeter, okay? Any Yankee fans in the room? Oh, look at that, look at that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend everybody here. That's what I'm working on here. But Derek Jeter and Joe Torre, you know, Joe Torre, you know, he coached the Yankees to many, many uh, World Series wins. But one of the things that Jeter has said is he gives credit to Joe Torre because Joe Torre not only taught him how to be a great baseball player, not only to be Mr. November, but Torre also taught him how do you handle the press? How do you handle criticism? How do you handle all that other stuff that all these other folks have coming at them? And, and he said Joe Torre was one of Derek Jeter's coach. But let's step out of the world of baseball a little bit and talk about maybe the world of finance. Maybe you've heard of Warren Buffett, right? Warren Buffett is this financial genius, but not many of you have ever heard of Ben Graham. Ben Graham actually mentored Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett because of the influence of Ben Graham. But of course... One of my favorite coaching relationships has to be with Luke Skywalker, right? Every Luke Skywalker had a Yoda and an Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? So, so what's the through line here? The through line is simply this, is that anyone who's successful has a coach. Sometimes it's a little green man on your back. Whatever you need to kind of grow and develop. Everyone needs a coach in our lives. And so today, I want to look at a Hall of Fame coach that we see in the New Testament. 
So I want to ask if you were one of the greeting team today, if you could go ahead and pass out one of these very rare, very limited edition, you guys are all going to get one of these, Apostle Paul trading cards, okay? So go ahead, greeting team, why don't you go ahead and pass those down as fast as you can, fast as you can. Every week during this series, you're going to get a new card that you can collect, that you can trade, and if you get the whole set, one day, they'll be worth nothing. But you have the whole set. So if you're a collector, you can go ahead and pass those down here. But once you get the card, if you want to go ahead and look on the back, we're going to look at the stats of one of this, of this Hall of Fame coach. Uh, Paul, here's some of his stats. His hometown is Tarsus. Uh, he was alive in AD 55. He was a Jewish Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious leader of that time and that sect. His position was he was a missionary church planter. One of his strengths was he has a strong intellect, he was passionate, he was persevering, but his weakness was he had a thorn in his flesh, he had something that would keep him from becoming prideful that he kind of had to wrestle with during his entire career as a coach. And so Paul wrote about 28% of the New Testament, so he's a big deal. A lot of the Bible that we have was because Paul wrote it. Now, Paul, his story is interesting. He started actually as a murderer. He was trying to stamp out Christianity. He was trying to end it, but he became one of the greatest leaders in the Christian faith. And he's actually a template of what I think a good coach looks like. And so I want to look at a coaching encounter he had with a church in Thessalonica. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, you go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Um, otherwise, you can just follow along with me on the screen. Paul is writing to a team that he's kind of coaching from a distance by writing them a letter, and he's trying to encourage them to keep moving forward in their faith. They're experiencing some struggles and some difficulties. Um, they're kind of in a slump, and so Paul's trying to encourage them to kind of take the next step. So starting at verse 7, it says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, one of the things I love about Paul is Paul loves to use metaphors to kind of make spiritual things come to life. And so before he was using sports metaphors, now he's using the metaphor of, of a nursing mom. He goes on to say this, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And, and I love this sentence that, you know, Paul says, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives. Paul was saying, guys, I didn't just come and preach at you. But I hung out with you. We had dinner together. I played with your kids. We went to the ball game together. We had a relationship and a friendship that went beyond just preacher and, and person I'm preaching at. He says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So, so Paul's saying, guys, I wasn't a salesman. I wasn't trying to sell the good news to you. I wanted you to know it because literally it's the message of my life. It's the message of my heart. It's what I devoted my entire being to. And he says, you are witnesses, meaning you guys saw this. And so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul's again saying, guys, you saw it. You saw how we lived in front of you. And he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. Go to the next slide here. As a father deals with his own children. And how does a father deal with his children? He's encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
See, Paul is coaching this team that is in Thessalonica that's trying to make an impact with the gospel. But for him, it's not just a professional thing. It's profoundly personal. He wants them to really get it and to understand it. And to, you see, for Paul, faith wasn't just something that was expressed through belief. It was expressed through your entire life. It was in how you lived and how you saw things and how you interacted with people. You see, for Paul, faith didn't just end there as an intellectual exercise. It was how you lived your life. So to win at faith meant that you had to win in the way you were living your life. And so Paul shows us, I think, three qualities of a quality coach that either God's calling you to be for somebody or maybe someone that you need to add to your law of averages so your law of five. And that is this, is you want to look at one, you want to find a coach that can practice candor with compassion. You want to find someone who can tell you the unvarnished truth, maybe when you don't want to hear it, maybe especially when you don't want to hear it, but they want to be honest with you, but they do it with compassion. Look what Paul says here. He says this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, I know many of you are parents, and maybe you can remember what it was like nursing your kids, or maybe you're still nursing your kids. I know that for my wife, it was an incredibly personal uh, event when she was nursing our kids. It was, imper- it was very, very personal. It was very, very intimate, because this small infant is basing its entire life on you. It needs you for every single thing. It needs you for food. It needs you for shelter. It needs you for care, for warmth. And the same way Paul is saying, guys, I, I came around you, and I comforted you, just like a nursing mother. And you see, this is really important because for Paul, there was no other Christians in Thessalonica. It was him. So he had to come along and care for that church. But not only that, he uses this feminine imagery, but he also balances that with some masculine imagery, verse 11, where he says this, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And here's how a father, a dad, deals with kids, by encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. You see, in the ancient world, there was this idea that women had to be soft and compassionate, but men were to be hard and stern. But Paul's like, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to be. Men, you're called to be compassionate and tender towards your children. And and, and, and moms, you need to be uh, challenging your kids as well, urge them to live good lives. And, And this idea of urging is where we get the idea of candor. Candor is simply this. It means being honest and direct. I think many of us, when we think of the idea of being honest and direct with someone, it can kind of feel like we're being rude. Like, you know, we're we're saying some things that are kind of harsh and difficult and things like that. But for Paul, that's how you showed love, by being candid, by being honest and direct. In fact, if you continue to read the book of Thessalonians in, in the Bible that we're reading from, you see that Paul has some really honest and really direct conversations. He says things like this, if you continue on sexual immorality, church, God will judge you. Like, that, that, that doesn't have the warm, happy feelings when you hear something like that. But it was honest. It was true. Paul was having a candid conversation with them, but it was one that was compassionate. So I got to ask us, do you have people in your life, someone on your team that is like that, that they can tell you the unvarnished truth, you've given them permission to be candid with you, but also they can be compassionate? Because these are really important characteristics. They're, the reason why they're candid with you is because they love you, they care about you, they want you to grow into the person that God's called you to be. And there's a great example of this in the secular workplace in the relationship between Sheryl Sandberg, who was the former COO of Facebook, 
and Kim Scott, who was at the time a young executive at Google. They both worked at Google, and uh, Kim Scott gave this presentation to a bunch of uh, the Google higher-ups, and she gives this presentation, and then afterwards, uh, Cheryl comes up to her and says, you know what, Kim, I think your content was awesome. Like, it was a great presentation, but I want to tell you, you know, every other word you said, you said the word um. It it was kind of distracting. I think you might need to work on that. So Kim hears this, and she's kind of dismissive. She's like, well, listen, I'm not a presenter. I'm not a public speaker. Like, my job is to make you millions and millions of dollars by by doing what I do best. That, that, That was kind of what she said. And so Cheryl Sandberg says to her this quote. She says, you know, Kim, I can tell I'm not really getting through to you. I'm going to have to be clearer. When you say um every third word, it makes you sound stupid. That's harsh. She can't talk to me like that. I'm going to HR. HR, get rid of her. See, what Kim Scott said, is, said was, in that moment, I, I, I had a choice. It was really awkward. It was really weird. But here's what I decided to do. I decided to receive what she said. I took what she said in, and I made some changes, and here's what I think. It was really, really loving. I was able to be a better presenter. I was able to kind of fulfill what I wanted to do in my role at Google and and kind of all the other things that she said. See, here's the thing. You can care personally and challenge directly. They're not an either-or. It's a both-and. That's what it means to practice candor with compassion. You can be direct and honest with somebody, but do it in a way that has tact that is loving, and that is caring. And that's where you need to find a good coach in your life who can fill that role. And maybe God's calling you to fill that role with people in your own life. Maybe you're part of a city group, or you're part of a team where you serve together, and the same person's complaining every single week about their spouse, or they're complaining every single week about their kids. Maybe what God is calling you to do is to practice candor with compassion, actually sit down with them, get coffee with them, go to Panera Bread and say, hey, Listen, I've just kind of noticed you, you keep complaining about your kids, or you keep complaining about your spouse. Like, is everything okay? Like, you know, I feel like when you do that, you kind of dishonor your kids, you dishonor your spouse, and maybe you take a risk and you step into that awkward place. But maybe God meets you in that place and uses you to encourage someone in that part of their life. Great coaches, they practice candor with compassion, but they also open up their lives. If you want to be a coach to someone, are you willing to open up your life to them and let them see the way you live? Now, it's not airing out your dirty laundry, but it's simply living in a way where you're transparent. The person that you are when no one is around is the same person you are when everyone is around. Uh, They can see your weaknesses and your failures and your strengths. Look what Paul says here in verse 8. He says, So we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, it's important to keep this in mind. I think for many of us, we, we kind of know that, you know, we, we kind of know what Christianity is, right? Even though, like, in the world, it seems like Christianity is kind of shrinking, everyone has some sort of idea of what faith is or what Christianity is or was. But in this time in history, there were no Christians. It was Paul and that small group, that small team that he's developing in the city of Thessalonica. That, that was it. And so literally, this small group of Christians, they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. They have no idea what does it mean to actually follow in the ways of Jesus. So Paul has to teach them. 
And, he, and that's why he's like, guys, look at me, look at me, look how I live my life. I'm going to be your template, your model of how to do this. And he opens up his life to them. Look what he says in verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. So basically, he's showing them that, hey, following Jesus isn't always easy. In fact, there's toil and hardship involved. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Now, you guys need to know this, that Paul, Coach Paul, was not just a preacher, okay? He was actually um, a small business owner. He owned a tent-making business. And so Paul would show up in this town, and he would set up his tent-making business. And so he would invite this small group, his, his team, to come, and he would you know, be making tents. You know, I don't know what motion this is, but pretend it's tent-making, okay? He's, he's making tents, and everyone's kind of hanging out watching him. They're asking Paul questions, and, and Paul is packaging the tents, and they're hanging out with Paul, asking him questions. And he's marketing the tents, Again, I don't know what my hands are doing right now, but we're just going to go with it. You know, Paul is marketing the tents, getting the word out about the tents so that people, and while he's doing that, he is coaching the church around him on how to be followers of Jesus. How do you live a life of integrity? How do you do work that is worthy of, the, of, of God? How do you live a life that's centered on Christ? It didn't happen in a classroom. It happened in life. And that's how we can coach people, and that's how we are coached. I remember several years ago, uh, my brother-in-law moved in with us. So this was like, I think, our first or second year of being married. He was trying to save up money to get married. And so literally, he gets like a front row view of all of our newlywed years and, you know, parenting years and all that stuff. And I remember one day, um, he was coming home from work, and he comes through the door, and Jackie and I are in the midst of a Let's call it a negotiation, okay? It was a fight. We were having a fight. And not just any fight. Like, how many, you know, those of you that are married, this is like one of those big fights, right? Like, there is raised voices, and there's yelling, and the nostrils are flaring, and the saliva is flying out of the mouth. Like, it, it, it's like, it's like a battle royale, right? Uh, and so anyway, we're, we're in the midst of this, and, and Bobby walks in, and he sees this. He's like, holy crow, what's going on here? And so he quietly tries to go up the stairs because he's got to go past us to his room and kind of avoid the whole thing. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I see him kind of sneaking up, and I say, Bobby, I want you to stay here, and I want you to see how we resolve this fight. Now, at this point, I didn't even know if we were going to be able to resolve the fight, but, but I'm like, Bobby, I want you to watch how you're doing this. So Bobby looks at me like he's like a ghost. My wife looks at me. The rage has just went from 10 to 11. And so anyway, we are in this moment. And so we are having this very, very intense argument. And eventually we work it out. We take, you know, we take a little bit of break. We, we get back. I apologize because it was my fault. That's kind of normally how it goes, just to be honest. And so after we end the fight, you know, Bobby goes back to his room and he just locks the door. We don't see him for like 24 hours. And so I, I, I follow up with the next thing. I go, hey, dude. I know that was kind of weird, but like, did you learn anything? He goes, well, that was weird. That was crazy. But here's what I thought was so interesting, that you guys stuck it out until you worked through the issue. Like, yeah, you might have taken some breaks, but you really, you, you really loved each other enough to really try to stick through it. And so I kind of learned that, you know, when you love somebody, you kind of push through the conflict, even if it's hard. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Here's the thing, all of our lives we can use to coach and to teach. And maybe you feel like, man, there's things that I don't do well. But you know what? God can use those things if you're willing to be open to them and surrender them to Him. And so 
It all begins by being open and honest. Do you have someone in your life who's open and honest about the good and bad about their lives? They're willing to open up their lives so you can kind of take a look and see, man, this is how you parent kids, good, bad, and ugly. This is how you are in a marriage relationship, or this is how you can work in your career, whatever it might be. Are you able to open up and be open and honest with others? And do you have people like that in your own lives? Because the final quality of a Hall of Fame coach is that they're guided by a greater goal. And Paul knows this. That's why Paul says this. He says, uh, live lives that are worthy of God who calls you to his kingdom. He says, live lives that are worthy of that. Because there's something much, much bigger that Paul is calling the people, his team, to be playing for. Because for Paul, the end goal of success as followers of Jesus wasn't that they die and go to heaven one day, but they actually live for Jesus now. That they're able to help share the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how to be part of his forever family. That they can be a part of praying for and working towards God's kingdom coming into our world and into our reality. See, for Paul, he was passionate about these things, and he he was trying to help his people say, hey, I'm not calling you guys to be part of the kingdom of Rome. I'm calling you to be part of the kingdom of God. You're not playing for one, the team that you're playing for is God's team. Not to be better Americans, not to be better Canadians, not to be better Indians. You are called to play for the ultimate team, and that is for my kingdom, to help it move forward. And so Paul lived that message out. He opened his life up to others so that they could see that message. And it changed the lives of people. And we see this happen all the time. That's what Paul is. He opens up his life and he he helps them see the bigger picture of what to live for. We see an example of that also in the life of Turner Ward and Paul Goldschmidt. In fact, that's what Turner Ward did for Paul here. Uh, Paul plays first base for the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, when Goldschmidt started, he was really all about winning. He didn't have a walk with God but he wanted to become the best baseball player he could. He wanted to be the best batter that he could. And so when he played for the Diamondbacks, he started a relationship with Turner Ward, who was his batting coach. And it left a powerful impression on his life. Let's watch this together. The thing that I realized about being a professional athlete was it was such a long shot. And I knew that there's only 750 Major League Baseball players. I do think the smart move would have been to get what I call a real job, any other job but being an athlete, but I was going to chase this dream, give it everything I had. You know, I wasn't the best player on my team, but in the next year I was a little bit better and a little bit better, and I mean, that's kind of the story of my baseball career is try to get a little better every year. I got the opportunity to pay for a chunk of my college education, and so I took that opportunity, and in college, I got an opportunity to play professionally, and so I took that opportunity as well. I mean, I've always been a pretty independent person. I think back, I mean, there was like coaches who maybe talked about their faith and Jesus and God, but yeah, I wasn't really wanting to hear it. I either thought there was no God or, you know, if there is a God, I'll figure it out later. It wasn't a top priority for me or a priority at all. In 2011, I was in AA with the Diamondbacks, and our manager was Turner Ward. I first met Paul in AA and got called up to the big leagues. He's probably the most coachable player I've been around. We'd go to the batting cage, and 
you know, I'd hit early, we'd take 50, 60 swings working my swing, and then we'd sit there for 20, 30 minutes and just talk about life. He asked me a question, he goes, what do I need to do to get better? I said, well, if you give me a couple of weeks, I'll tell you. I think the shock on his face is thinking probably, man, there's that much stuff? Turner was very open with his faith and his beliefs and did not push it on me at all. But of course, I started asking him about the reason he lives his life a certain way and why he believes something different than I did. I said, first of all, you got to grow in your relationship with Christ. Second of all, you got to be a better husband. And third of all, you got to be a better player. First time I read anything in the Bible was with him and started reading the book of Proverbs. I just think, you know, whether you're a believer or not, there's so much truth in the in those sayings and Proverbs. And that's probably, you know, the first time when my mind was open to where what the Bible says isn't, you know, isn't a lie. Having my mind logically read it, study it, see what that means, have it not contradict itself. I started asking questions and getting answers and just kind of wanted to explore more and more. I think that's where my story of knowing Jesus starts. I've watched a guy who truly understands what it means to surrender his life to Christ. I think my friends were very open, I would say, even about their mistakes and their vulnerabilities, which then allowed me to kind of eventually do the same thing. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm making mistakes all the time. The Bible talks about, and Jesus talks about how none of us can be perfect, and, and that's why we need Him. And, and that, to me, was a, a message of truth. I mean, I guess that's where, where I'm at. My name is Paul Goldschmidt, and I am second. I invite the worship team to come up. And as they're coming up, I just want to make a couple connections with, with this video that we just watched because I really think it perfectly brings together all the strands of what we talked about, which is this, is you had Turner, who was the coach, Turner Ward, practice candor with compassion, right? He said, hey, if you want to be better, you've got to do this. And you saw, you saw Paul's response. He's like, I didn't think I was that bad. <laughs> but that's how much more work he had to do. But then he also opened up his lives. He said, you know, Turner, he talked about his faith. He was open about it. He was honest about it. And I saw that there was something about it that was actually attractive. He wasn't preaching at me. He was just kind of talking about, this is what faith looked like in my life. And then Turner was guided by a greater goal. He, he, you know, Paul asked him, well, what do I need to do to get better? He said, there's three things. Remember what those three things were? The first, you need to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Guy's not even a believer yet, but he's telling him that's how you get better. Number two, work on your marriage. Be a better husband. And number three, be a better ball player. Isn't it interesting? Paul's asking, how do I become a better ball player? He's like, your number one priority is first, you grow your relationship with Jesus, and you trust him with all the other pieces to it. That's the kind of coach that you need in your lineup so that you can become who God's called you to be so that you can grow in your spiritual life, so that you can be a source of light and have an impact in this broken world when you surround yourself with those people who can coach you, lead you, and guide you. And maybe God is calling you to be a coach for someone else. 
And maybe you're kind of wondering, okay, Nathan, how do I do that? How do I get a coach? Well, first, you ask. You ask God to bring someone into your life that either you can coach or that can coach you. That's the most basic one. And then the second is look to your left. Go ahead, everyone look to your left, and then look to your right. I guarantee you that there's someone here in our community that would love to come alongside of you and to coach you. Maybe you're thinking, man, I want to be a small business. I want to start a small business, and I don't know how to do that. I look, look at all the videos on YouTube, which is great, but can you find someone in our church who would love to say, hey, here's what it feels like when you're applying for a loan and you're not sure if it's going to come through or not. Here's what it's going to feel like your first year, and you're not sure how it's going to work. Guys, we have folks in our church who started businesses. We have folks who have started businesses and failed businesses, and they'd love to help you on that journey. Or how about parenting? Maybe you're like, Nathan, I'm, I'm starting a family, or I'm, you know, my littles are starting to make shifts into like the tween years. I don't know what to do with that. Well, I want to encourage you. Find some parents that are further ahead of you who would love to come alongside you, to encourage you, to pray with you, and say, hey, listen, this is normal. Like, you're not screwing your kid up. Like, that's just part of the process and the journey. Or, or maybe even in your spiritual life. Maybe you're like, Nathan, I need to get serious in my walk with God. It's falling apart. I, I, I need help. There's people here that would love to help you take your next steps to grow in faith. And you can find them by joining a city group. We have city groups, which are smaller groups of believers that gather all throughout the week that would love to connect with you. We also have teams that you can serve on. Like we have our tech team or our worship team, or we have different teams of folks that serve in our church. And what I'm always, I, what I love about that is so often people meet each other for the first time on teams. And it's a great way for you to meet people that could actually become friends, that can actually help you grow in your faith and move you from where you are now to where God has called you to be. But I want to pray right now that God would bring the right coaches and the right people in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know that this can seem kind of daunting. Maybe some of us are thinking, Nathan, I have enough friends in my life I can't even keep up with. And I don't know if I have time or energy to have a coach. But Lord... You want us to become who you've called us to be. You want to transform us into the image of your son, and we can't do that alone. God, if there's people on our team we need to trade, if there's people that we need to maybe spend less time with and others we need to spend more time with, God, I pray that this week, in fact, I pray right now, Lord, you'd bring those people to mind. I pray, God, that we would take those steps to connect with them to help us become who you've called us to be. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.